The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. The show today presented, as always, by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com for new windows. Now's the time to do it uh, before winter really gets here. And winter may be arriving, Tommy, next week. I mean, it's been cold the really? last couple of days. Um, but yes, a lot. Has. But the Internet's been heating up here uh, today with the prospect of our first snow at some point next week. That's a possibility. Doug Cameron. Well, that's is, disappointing. Doug Cameron is predicting I, I a big snowy winter. I always hope to escape that. Yeah, I know. You don't like it I much. I hope to escape that. No, yeah. I like to get, you know, it could snow a lot in January and February. That's when I root for snow. You do root for it in January and February and not at holiday time? No, I root for it in Chan- when I'm in Florida. Oh, when so you're I like, po- right, I, like right, right. To, I like to know that I'm escaping misery. Yeah. Uh, don't hold me to that forecast. It's just that I'm on some of these weather chat boards every once in a while because it is um, a bit of a fixation for me at times during the winter. And some of the recent model runs are indicating maybe some light snow next week and maybe, you know, something to uh, talk about. But Doug Kammerer, who was on the radio show with me a few weeks ago with his winter weather forecast, is predicting a very snowy winter with some blockbuster storms. Uh, but he thinks that it, most of it will come later in the winter or starting sort of in later December. So there you go. Uh, it should be rainy on Sunday for the game. We'll get your prediction here uh, in a moment on this Thursday show. We'll do some You Heard It Here first. But I wanted to start with this. Yesterday, um, did you read anything or watch anything on the life of Henry Kissinger who passed away yesterday at the age of 100 years old? You're going to remember a lot of the Henry Kissinger Nixon years much more than I remember them. But um, did you get caught up in any of that yesterday or not? I didn't get caught up in it. Okay. I mean, I read some this morning, uh, some New York Times stories about him uh, and things like that. Okay. You know? All right. So I, I didn't know if you had anything to say about the passing of Henry Kissinger. I found... Well, I mean, I would say I come down on the side of, uh, if I can find it here, I come down on the side of the Rolling Stone magazine, Rolling Stone today, 
or the uh, Huffington Post, uh, whose headline uh, in the Rolling Stone today was, Henry Kissinger, war criminal beloved by America's ruling class, finally dies. <laughs> I'm kind of more in that group. All right. Uh, you know what? I'll keep it on the lighter side because I read this quote in just reading one of the, uh, an obit uh, uh, on him. I read this quote and I thought it was it was just so perfect for you to respond to. He was a big time soccer fan or football fan, uh, as everybody else in the world calls it. And he had this particular quote about soccer or football. Quote, football at the highest level is complexity masquerading as simplicity. <laughs> Which, by the way, really is Tom in a nutshell. But, but it's, not, it's, not exactly, it's not exactly Tom's opinion on soccer. But I want to continue. He, he, he said um, many years ago, he said, football, as in soccer, at the highest level is complexity masquerading as simplicity. It's a very different game from the sports with which people in the USA are most familiar, namely American football and baseball. All 11 players must possess the same skills, particularly in modern football. Again, let me just interject. He's talking about soccer here. Um, where the difference between offensive and defensive players has been blurred. Because it's a continuous game, we're, we're told that, I'll add parenthetically all the time, we're told what a beautiful continuous game it is. Because it's a continuous game, it cannot be broken down into a series of plays that can be practiced as in American football or baseball. American football and baseball delight in the perfection of their repetitions. Football, in the as in soccer, in the improvisation of solutions to constantly changing strategic imperatives. Football requires little equipment other than a pair of boots. Everyone believes that he or she can play football. Again, talking about soccer. And it can be played spontaneously by any number of people, anytime, anywhere. Therefore, football is a wonderful game for the masses who can fully identify with its passions, its sudden triumphs, and its inevitable disappointments. Um... First of all, I just thought that when I read that, I'm like, that last line kind of sums it up. Basically, anybody can play it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when he says, and it can be played spontaneously by any number of people, anytime, anywhere. Of course it can. You just got a ball, a couple of nets, and you just kick it around a little bit. Um, so do you think that this sport, this beautiful game is as Henry Kissinger described it many years ago, your favorite game? Oh, he picked. Look, it, it, it's it's not an. That's a pretty uh, interesting take, and uh, I think he makes some good points about it. It doesn't necessarily make the game more attractive when you're actually watching the game. Okay, the, the things that he he, he speaks of. So, but uh, I thought that that that's a reasonable, well thought out view of it, and I can't say I disagree with a lot of it. Except for the masses part, because the last thing Henry Kissinger cared about was the masses. The improvisation part, though, is I think soccer and basketball are more similar. You know, he 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 pointed to football and baseball as the American you know pastimes, and maybe whenever this quote came from, and I don't have when he said this, it could have been many many years ago. 
But basketball is a sport, uh, I, I think, similar to soccer, and that is it's yeah. a sport that involves much more improvisation. Um, or as he wrote, improvisation of solutions to constantly change, changing strategic imperatives. I, you know, soccer, I have become more of, uh, of I, want, I wouldn't say a fan of the sport, a fan of the pageantry around the sport, for sure, for these big events. I actually kind of enjoy that a little bit. I do kind of can tell the difference between those that are, you know, that play it at the elite level and in, in some of these leagues versus some others. Like you can tell like the the truly great players, the Messies, just some of the things they can do, the skill level is you know, it's pretty cool to see, but um yeah, uh football at its highest level is complexity masquerading as simplicity. Tom Lavero at the highest level is complexity masquerading as simplicity. Um, anyway, I wanted to uh, wanted to mention something to you because I, I found this at the end of my radio show just a little while ago. Tonight, Dallas plays Seattle in American football. Right. And um, other than the obvious, which is it's Dallas's first chance to beat a team with a winning record, and even if they do so, I mean, Seattle's not playing well. Uh, and Seattle's a little banged up. I mean, Dallas is a nine-point favorite tonight in the game. But yeah, if... I think I think Seattle is missing uh, Walker, one of their well, running backs. He actually might be back, but everybody's kind of banged up a little bit, and Geno Smith's been banged up. But anyway, last week on Thanksgiving Day, Deron Bland, the Cowboys' corner, set the NFL record with his fifth pick six this year. He broke the record held by multiple players, including Ken Houston, who had four pick sixes in one season. Now, keep in mind, he's done it at this point in 11 games. He's got six games left. Now, Houston did it in 14 games because that was the length of the season when he did it in 1971. But tonight, he can break another NFL record, or at some point uh, you know, during the rest of the season, with one more defensive touchdown, he'll set the record for all-time uh, defensive touchdowns by a player in a season, which is a record held only by one player, and that player is Ken Houston. In the same season in which he returned four interceptions for touchdowns, 1971 when he was playing in Houston, he also returned a fumble for a touchdown. No player in NFL history has ever had five defensive touchdowns. Um, I'm sorry, six defensive touchdowns. Bland now has five pick sixes, which is the record, but he t- he's – He's sharing in the record of most defensive touchdowns. So if he gets one more pick six or one more or a fumble return for a touchdown, he'll hold that record. And I was thinking about this actually after a conversation I had on my radio show with my producer Denton about the NFL MVP race. If this guy had like another two or three touchdowns defensively, it would be such an unbelievable season that it would be hard for him not to get some attention in the MVP voting. He's been a very good corner to begin with. Forget about the pick sixes. He's been a really good corner all season long, a really good, you know, they lost Trayvon Diggs and everybody was was like, uh-oh, they're in big trouble. Well, I, I don't, you know, if he ended up with two more pick sixes, Tommy, and had seven defensive touchdowns, He'd have to be in consideration. I think he well, would be. Well, is there an obvious 
usually the quarterback, a quarterback wins MVP. Yes. Uh, there's no obvious quarterback MVP candidate this year, is there? Um, so it, th- this is what's interesting, and this is why we had the conversation. Uh, yeah, first of all, it, it's become pretty much a quarterback award. You know, the last right. non-quarterback to win the MVP was Adrian Peterson in 2012. It's been a quarterback every single year since then. And by the way, many years leading into that, it was quarterbacks. I think LaDainian Tomlinson and Sean Alexander won it in back-to-back years in 0405, maybe 0506, whatever it was. Um, but yes, to, to your point, it's be- become a quarterback award. And right now I'm looking at the MyBookie odds, okay? MyBookie.ag, use my promo code, Kevin DC, for a cash bonus on your initial deposit. It's the place to go to. Jalen Hurts is the favorite. It's actually the most separation we've seen in the MVP race this year because it's wide open and it's been very wide open. Um, Hertz is the favorite. Patrick Mahomes is at plus 340. So there's distance between Hertz and Mahomes now for the first time this year. Then it's Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, Tua, and Brock Purdy. Those are your top six, followed by C.J. Stroud. And then the first non-quarterback is Christian McCaffrey, but he's at plus 2,000. So... You know, Tariq Hill's one of the non-quarterbacks. Micah Parsons, Miles Garrett among the non-quarterbacks that are in there. I don't even see at my bookie Deron Bland even on the list. But if he were to get another pick six or two, he'd be on the list. Because there's not a clear-cut MVP this year. No, there's not. It's not the Patrick Holmes Award again this year. Yeah, I mean, Rodgers won it in, in 20 and 21, but Mahomes has won it two out of the last five years with Lamar Jackson, I think, you know, uh, in there in 2019. That was the year he won the MVP. We, the, the conversation actually was about, like, who's going to win it. Like, there's so, Tommy, there are so many big games ahead of us involving really good teams and the leading MVP candidates. Like, Jalen Hurts and Brock Purdy go head-to-head in the game of the year on Sunday, at least in the NFC, the game of the year. I mean, this is going to determine a lot, potentially, in the NFC um, as far as, you know, one seed, home field advantage. I mean, Philadelphia, even if they lose the game, will still be a game ahead of the 49ers. But the Eagles have... They've already beaten in a row the the Cowboys, Chiefs, and Bills. Now they go 49ers, Cowboys, Seahawks the next three. 49ers, Cowboys the next two. So Jalen, if he like if he goes back to back over the 49ers and Cowboys again with fourth quarter drives and really good games and wins, he may have it locked up. But what if Brock Purdy ends up outplaying Jalen Hurts, they beat the Eagles, and then Brock Purdy does the same thing Christmas night against the Ravens, where he'll be matched up against Lamar Jackson, who's in the mix. Meantime, Dak Prescott, who has not beaten a winning team all year, he's got an opportunity with this stretch. The Eagles, Bills, Dolphins, and Lions, right in a row. And I think there is a, a groundswell for Dak right now. Like, there's a lot of discussion about how Dak has gone from early in, earlier in the year, eh, you know, loses to the Cardinals. People are calling him out. They get blown out by the Niners. Who was it? It was Dante Whitner that said he stinks. 
I actually said I think what we're watching now really is more of an average quarterback than a special quarterback. But um, he's played great. The problem is they haven't beaten anybody. And they had an opportunity to beat Philadelphia, and he stepped out of bounds on a two-point conversion, and he took a huge sack as they were getting ready to win the game at the end of it. Jalen's provided the moments. Dak hasn't yet, but he has the opportunity to. Yes. Yes, he does. But I I would love to see a a defensive player, especially a a cornerback, uh, win the award. That, I, I, I like. I always root for something unusual in a case like this, not the favorites. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, the the last defensive player to win it was Lawrence Taylor in 1986. We have Aaron not... Donald didn't win the MVP. No, Aaron Aaron Donald has not won an MVP. Um, it's I thought been, he did. No, it's been all off of the AP. You know, the, the AP is the official um, MVP right. winner. Uh, you know, the, the, here it is. I just pulled up the list. Mahomes, Rodgers, going backwards, working from last year. Mahomes, Rodgers, Rodgers, Jackson, Mahomes, Brady, Matt Ryan, Cam Newton, Rodgers, Peyton Manning, and then Adrian Peterson in 2012. Rodgers the year before that. Brady the year before that. Manning, Manning, Brady. Uh, LaDainian Tomlinson, Sean Alexander, running backs. Uh, Manning, Steve McNair was the MVP in 2003. Peyton Manning in 2000. Oh, they, I'm sorry. They shared the award in 2003, McNair and Peyton Manning. Rich Cannon won it in 2002. Um, <laughs> Kurt Warner in 2001. Marshall Falk in 2000. Kurt Warner in 99. Terrell Davis, 98, Barry Sanders, and then Favre won three in a row. Steve Young, Emmett Smith, Steve Young, Thurman Thomas, Joe Montana, Montana. Boomer Esiason was the MVP in 88. Elway in 87. Lawrence Taylor in 86. And before that, the defensive player before Taylor, you got to go all the way back to Alan Page in 1971 won the MVP. How about wow. that? Alan Page, uh, an unbelievable human being. A guy who was an NFL MVP and a state Supreme Court justice in the state of Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah, an incredible. I mean, I've seen so many of those and NFL he played things. Defensive tackle at about 220 pounds. <laughs> Is that what he was, really? Yeah. Wow. Um, 78 years old, still alive. Alan Page. Just look that up. You know, uh, as I was discussing the Duran Bland possibility for tonight, I I also found this. Micah Parsons has 11 games in which he's had at least two sacks in the first two and a half seasons of his NFL career. With one more two-plus sack game, he'll tie Richard Dent, Sean Merriman, and Alden Smith, who trail Reggie White, who had the most in his first three seasons. He had 16 games of two-plus sacks. I mean, Hall of Famer Reggie White, Hall of Famer Richard Dent, Sean Merriman was a great player. Alden Smith was a great player until he developed all of those issues. But I was, you know, as I, as I was looking at this, I was like, well, what about LT? Well, remember, the sack stat wasn't taken for the first time until 
1982, which was his second year right. in the league. Right. But I, I pulled up just to see how many sacks he did because, you know, a lot of had there are a lot of people that have gone back and tried to figure out how many sacks Deacon Jones and some of those players had. Oh, yeah. There, yeah. there are guys who specialize in that. Right. Bec- I mean, there are historians who have, got, who, have, who have devoted a lot of their time to going back and reconstructing the sack records. I mean, why did it take so long for, you know, people to recognize how important sacks were? I mean, you had the fearsome force. People were always excited about sacks. It's always a big, dramatic play. Right. I mean... I mean, you know, the fearsome foursome, which Deacon Jones played on, that was a big deal. They were star players. Merlin Olsen, Rosie Greer. Deacon Jones and... Yeah. And who, who? Lamar Lundy. Lamar Lundy, uh, and you know the, the the purple people leaders in Minnesota with yeah. Alan Page, Page and Jim Marshall, yeah. and yeah, these you, were stars. I don't I know. know why their their biggest stat was not was not more, uh, you know, more spotlighted. Right. Um, but I found something on on LT that was just uh, was amazing. So Lawrence Taylor during the course of his career. Had 56 forced fumbles. 56. In his first five years in the NFL, he had 26 forced fumbles. Um, His sack totals, they they went back and they found that in his rookie year, he had nine and a half sacks. uh, Seven and a half in 82, nine in 83. I don't know how many two-sack games he had, which was the stat I was talking about as it relates to Micah Parsons. And then he had this stretch, 84, 11 and a half sacks, 85, 13 sacks, 86 when he won the MVP at 20 and a half sacks. But the man had 56 forced fumbles in his career. I, it's easy for me when I talk about my viewing of the NFL, which started in the early 70s. Lawrence Taylor is the greatest player I've ever watched. He's the one. I know we've talked about this before. For you, it was Jim Brown, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Actually, no. No, 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 no. Jim Brown, I think, is the greatest player to ever play the game, but he's not the greatest player I ever saw. Butkus? No, you know, again, Butkus was – I mean, I didn't start watching football until 67 – yeah, the first year of the Super Bowl was the first year I started watching football. And Buckets had, I think, been already in the league three or four years by then. And the Bears weren't on TV that much. Uh, so I didn't really get to see Buckets that much. Uh, you know, it's hard for me not to not to say uh, a guy like Walter Payton or a guy like Reggie White. Reggie White was spectacular. Yeah, I I don't I I don't I I think Walter Payton's certainly in the conversation of the greatest running backs. I know we've talked about the the running back conversation before, but um, for me, like in terms of watching running backs, I still think Earl Campbell's like underrated in terms of the greatest running backs of all time. I I, I loved watching Earl Campbell in those those seasons in the seventies with him. I, I think that he is that he's in that conversation. I, but Peyton's there. I, I'll tell you this. Emmett Smith, I think, right? Em, Emmett Smith's the all-time leading rusher. 
He's not the best running back I ever watched in, in my lifetime of no. watching backs. He was really, really good. I don't want to take away from – he was great. But Peyton was better. Um, Earl Campbell was better to me. Um, uh, Adrian Peterson was a better back in his prime than Emmett Smith was. Um, maybe the list is shorter than I'm, I'm thinking about. I need to pull up a list of running backs. Barry to... Sanders? Barry Sanders was certainly a more exciting back than Emmett Smith. But I don't know. I, 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 I never really felt about... Remember, Emmett ran behind an offensive line that included Larry Allen. I know. Great offensive line. Look, O.J. Yeah. Simpson, to me, was a better back than Emmett Smith. I I mean I'm sure Jim Brown was a better back than than Emmett Smith. Um yes. Do you agree with me on Simpson? I think I think it's it's I think it's worth looking at. I don't think it's ridiculous. I think it's it's worth considering. All right, I just pulled up a list here. Hold on. So Emmett Smith is the all-time leading rusher by about sixteen hundred yards, roughly over Peyton. He'll have that record forever. Yeah, Frank Gore is th- yeah because of the way the game's played. Frank Gore right. yeah. is third. Barry's fourth. Adrian Peterson's fifth. Curtis Martin is sixth. I would never ever describe Curtis Martin as one of the greatest running backs of all time. And in fact, and I, I when he went into the Hall of Fame, I I didn't even consider Curtis Martin watching him to be a Hall of Fame back. But his numbers were just too overwhelming in the same way that Bettis, who's eighth on the list, uh, is in the Hall of Fame. Like Eric Dickerson is ninth. Now, a lot of these guys played 14 games versus 16. Uh, Dickerson played 16 games for his whole career. Dickerson's in the – like Dickerson was a great back. Like I think Dickerson's probably on my short list of the greatest backs ever. Dorsett follows him. Jim Brown, Marshall Falk. Falk was special. Edger and James, Marcus Allen, Franco, Thurman Thomas – Rigo's still 19th on the all-time rushing yards list. Um, going down the list. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Emmett just wouldn't be the, the guy. I, I, I definitely would pick Peyton before Emmett Smith is the greatest running back of all time. I think I'd pick O.J. Simpson ahead of him, Adrian Peterson ahead of him, Dick, Dickerson maybe ahead of him. Dickerson was really, really good. Had that upright yeah, running style. Was, he, I was never crazy about him. He was a selfish player. He was selfish. He definitely had, yeah. you know, he he had that that to him. He he was he broke he broke Simpson's record. Right, he was the the first to break Simpson's record. Uh, Simpson was the first one to rush for two thousand yards in a season, um, and the. Uh, Right, Simpson was the first one because he did it against against the Jets at Shea, I think, and then yes. I think Dickerson broke that record. Uh, he did in 1984, and Dickerson's it, okay. Dickerson still has the all-time record, 2,105 yards. For whatever reason, I thought either Jamal Lewis or Adrian Peterson broke that record. Um, there's well, Jamal Lewis went over 2,000 yards. Yeah, he did. He had two. He's third behind Adrian Peterson, and then Barry Sanders, yeah. Derrick Henry, Terrell Davis, Chris Johnson from the Titans, and O.J. Simpson. Those are the eight. There's only eight 2,000 yard uh, seasons in the history of the NFL. And to your point, there there probably won't be another one 
Like Derek, no, Derek Henry, won't. yeah, Derek Henry did his in 2020, and you know if they were, yeah, I mean I don't see that happening again a 2,000 yard season. No, so neither do I. I don't see it happening either unless they unless they're playing 23 games a season by in a couple of years. True. True, <laughs> and I would certainly wouldn't surprise me if they up it to 18. So um, I got a text this morning from a friend uh, who we don't really have as much on-air interaction with because he decided to get out of the sports writing business and get into the sports editing business. But Dan Steinberg texted me this morning because he listened to the show yesterday and he, he said, I thought you were way overstating it to say that half the teams would be in shotgun on fourth and one. Tom basically made up his mind. He drew the line in the sand on Eric Bieniemy and said no chance would he ever be interviewed for a head coaching job, not even an offensive coordinator job, after being in the shotgun on third and one and fourth and one on Thanksgiving Day. And I said, look, I don't disagree with you. I would prefer them to, to, to run the football but half the league's in shotgun on third and one and fourth and one. So Dan texted me, I thought you were overstating it to say that half the teams would be in shotgun on fourth and one, so I checked. This season so far, 41% of plays on fourth and one have been from shotgun, and 44% of the plays on third and one have been in shotgun. Um, I... I was close. Look, when I said half, I was kind of exaggerating. Look, I would have probably... Look, you were close. 41% is close enough. Yeah, well, 44 on third right. and one. But I actually yeah. just was trying to make the point. We see it all the time in, in yeah. today's football. We see shotgun on third and one and fourth and one all the time. And you know it drives, it drives Doc nuts. He just goes insanely nuts every time he sees the shotgun on third and one and fourth and one. And, you know, it's been that way for years. But anyway, thanks for listening, Dan. Um, wasn't exactly 50%, but close enough. You know what, Tommy? I'll give you that. Football at the highest level for me is really simplicity masquerading as complexity <laughs> for me. <laughs> All right, let's get to predictions, your prediction on the game against Miami, and I'll ask you a question about Ron Rivera now as the defensive coordinator. We'll do that and more right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, Tommy, Shelley's Thursday night football, holiday time. Great, great time of the year to be down at Shelley's, I would imagine. Absolutely. Great time to be at Shelley's. Very festive atmosphere in downtown D.C. this time of year, and Shelley's is no exception to that. Right in the middle of uh, the 1300 block of F Street uh, Northwest there, across from the National Press Club building. Look, I mean, Shelley's is a great place to, to get together for the holidays. It's also a great place to find your holiday gift for your boyfriend, your father, your husband, or your wife. If, if they're so inclined, uh, because they have probably one of the greatest selections of cigars you'll find anywhere. In addition to smoking cigars at Shelley's, you can buy cigars at Shelley's, okay? And, and you don't want to skimp if it's going to be a Christmas present for your significant other. Let me recommend to you the Opus X God of Fire Lost City Collection. Whoa. How can you go wrong with a cigar named after the God of Fire. Now, these are not cheap. You know, a God of Fire Churchill, one cigar is 41 bucks. Okay, so this is the good stuff. Okay, this is the stuff that you do get for a Christmas present for your significant other. You can get it at Shelly's Back Room. They'll help you pick out the right cigar for you. They've got a staff that knows cigars. That's very helpful. They have a cigar menu. They'll put right in your hands when you walk in the door. And uh, you're looking for a great Christmas present, go to Shelly's and you'll find a great one. Shelly'sBackroom.com. Was, so what was the name of the, was there a Greek uh, god of fire at, when it comes to cigars? <laughs> no. But what was the name of I the? Think, I, think, I think Arthur Brown was the uh, god of fire because he once sang in 1968, I am the god of hell and fire. I don't know who Arthur Brown is. Well, you Google it. It was a big hit song okay. in 68, 69, mm-hmm. and it was, it, it was called Fire. Got and it. he opened it up with saying, I am the god of hell and fire. So this is the Arthur Brown collection then. Okay, so it's not, it's not Light My Fire by the Doors. Um, no. Okay. Uh, so before we get to your prediction for Sunday's game, Uh, I wanted to read something that I found from The Athletic. Subscribe to The Athletic. It's totally worth it. I'm a subscriber. Um, Randy Mueller, you know, the former uh, general manager in the NFL. Remember, we were sitting right next to Randy at the Defenders game uh, as he was coaching up or front-officing the team that the Defenders were playing that day. (laughs) Who was the team? I don't remember. Uh Seattle was I don't it remember, Seattle? But don't, was it Seattle? I missed the defense. I missed the defenders. Well, won't you? I missed their sea. I can't wait for their season to start again. Yeah, he was with the Seattle Sea Dragons, um, and okay. the seats we had. We had a lot of fun at that game, didn't we? We had a lot of fun. We were sitting in that box with John and Courtney. 
you know, are, are friends and, you know, they're involved yes. with the defenders somehow. And I started to talk to Randy Mueller and I said, and I said, Hey, you're Randy Mueller, right? And then I realized he had a headset on and he was part of the, the actual coaching box. <laughs> um, but anyway, I've had him actually on the radio show a couple of times. He's a good guest and he writes for the athletic and, he wrote this story yesterday about the coaches that are on the hot seat, you know, and this is what he wrote about Ron Rivera, and I thought it was really interesting. Um, I, I also think it's really spot on to a certain degree. He said, Ron Rivera has taken the CEO approach for most of his time with the commanders. I understand the changing of culture and the effort that must be given in this area for this franchise, but what got Rivera this gig in his prior one in Carolina was his defensive acumen and his ability to devise defenses that utilize the personnel that his roster presents. That is why I was taken back by Rivera's comments after last week's firing of longtime colleague Jack Del Rio when he said he would be more involved in running the defense. What the heck has he been doing for the last three years? This is what Rivera needed to do week one this season. Instead, he's operated as if he had a 10-year contract for the last few years, like he was entitled to have this job. What better way to instill confidence with a new boss, Josh Harris, than to throw 100% of your efforts into a, ki- into a kick-ass defense and have something to hang your hat on? Instead, Rivera signed off on trading his two best pass rushers, who will be very hard to replace no matter who is the coach next season. Then he gets into a short thing about trading draft choices and how hard players are 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 hard to find. Good players are hard to find, and that he wouldn't have necessarily made the trades. But then he said, "I think we all acknowledge that changes are coming in Washington, but a strong finish on defense could help Rivera salvage something for his defensive coordinator resume going forward." I have firsthand experience working with Rivera and know him to have special traits as a defensive coach. Sometimes the CEO role takes coaches far away from their roots. It's not a good thing. So there are a couple things about this that that I wanted to talk about. Number one, Ron Rivera... I don't. I don't want to relitigate his time in Carolina. You know how I feel. You. I know how you feel. I, I think Ron Rivera was a good coach in Carolina, um, and I felt like when they hired him that they actually had gotten more than what they deserved in a head coach in 2020. But he is not the same kind of coach here. He got this coach centric position. Got all of this, you know, responsibility. All of this control. Um, and he became a CEO head coach. He told me that on the air in 2021 when I asked him what was different about him as a coach in D.C. He said, I'm much more of a delegator. I'm more of a CEO coach. And that's what we've seen. Um, and Randy Mueller takes him to task for that. Um, you don't disagree with that, do you? That, that's what Ron, that there's a big difference between Ron's role here in Washington as a head coach and his head coaching in Carolina? No, I do not disagree with that. Okay. You can disagree as to whether or not he was a good coach in Carolina. We, we'll, we'll agree to right. disagree on that. Um, okay. But, but he is a different coach here. And I think ultimately what Randy Mueller is driving at, and I agree, Ron Rivera is not cut out to be coach-centric Ron, to be a CEO. You know, he had a special, you know, uh, skill, and that was designing defenses and calling defenses. 
And even though he had defensive coordinators and he wasn't always the play caller in Carolina, he was the head of the defense. He was a defensive head coach. That's where his focus was. He had a primary area focus. Just like Joe Gibbs did as a head coach here, Joe Gibbs focused on offense and left all the defense to Richie Pettibone. Um, And so the CEO thing just – it's a different Ron Rivera here than you got in Carolina, and it's been a disaster for him. Disaster for him to have to to have decided, you know, I'm going to take this gig, I'm going to enter this organization. The people have been telling me, hey, be careful about Washington because essentially they're giving me all of this control, and I want the control. And he got it, and it's not worked out well for him. You know, there's a couple of things. First of all, uh, I would give Randy Mueller's uh, opinion credibility because he says he's worked with Ron Rivera. So he knows Rivera pretty well. Right. Okay. Uh, but I, 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 a couple questions I would bring up it was, here in Washington, it's not like he turned over the defense to Pee Wee Herman. Don't right. we think Jack Del Rio has just as strong a resume as a defensive coordinator as Ron Rivera did? I do. Yeah. Yes. So it's I not, think Ron it, Rivera it, it, it's had more success like as a head coach. Ron Rivera yes, had more success yes, as did. yeah as a defensive head coach than Del Rio did. But but yeah, Del Rio had a reputation as you know yeah. a pretty good defensive coach. You know, had some good seasons as, as a defensive coordinator or as a defensive head coach. So the lack of control should not have necessarily have been an issue with this. I don't know. There's something deeper about what's wrong with this defense this year. And we look, you and I have both talked about trading the two defensive ends. The defense wasn't good before they traded them. Okay. And uh they they, they you know, Chase Young had to go. Montez Sweat, if there was a way to keep him, it would have been a good idea, but you had the new owners that want to start fresh and they want draft picks and I we under I understand all that. Okay, so this this na- national narrative that they traded away their their defensive ends and now the defense stinks, it's not true. No, but what is true is that it hasn't been addition by subtraction, which is what they leaked no, out about Chase not. Young. Uh, because, right, right, it has not been that. Because they have one sack in three of the four games without him, uh, and then in that other game against Tommy DeVito, they did have nine sacks. But, I mean, you know, DeVito basically said, come sack me nine times, but I know you guys are going to have six turnovers and we'll win the game anyway. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think so. there are two, two things off of this. Number one, I think Mueller actually does Ron a little bit of a disservice by, by not acknowledging, and maybe it's just because we're, we're so deep into this and from the outside they don't – it doesn't pop to mind. He took over, you know, he talked about, you know, and, and referenced the the organization that he was joining, you know, this franchise, that the you know, changing the culture and the effort was a given for this particular franchise. But Ron had it much worse than anybody else did. We've gone through the reasons why COVID, investigations, his own personal health crisis, it was, you know, the loss of the name and everything involving in that. So it, it ended up being a total shit show. And he was not. He was also thrust into this position of being the first coach to coach here in Washington with Dan preoccupied. You know, in many ways, Ron actually made a lot more decisions without 
the owner being super involved than any coach previously um, had had made. Um, so uh, I, I think you could. I think Randy could have acknowledged that you know it's failed, but he, it, it was quite the challenge and would have been for anybody else. But here's the other part of this, and we did this on radio today, and I took calls on it. Ron now is going to get what Randy Mueller prescribed before this season started, which was involvement in the defense. He fired Jack Del Rio. Now the defense is his. He's going to call the defense. He's going to game plan the defense. And I asked the question today on radio, what would anger you more if the defense improves significantly or if it gets worse? And pretty much everybody said, if it gets better by a lot, they'll be really, really angry because it's like Ron had the answer all along and refused to make the move. If he had made that move earlier, then maybe they'd have a season. Well, let's, let me point out one thing. They're going to play a much tougher schedule yes, going they are. forward right. than, they, than they did before. True. Okay, so, so being a defense, a good defense is going to be a lot tougher for the rest of the season. So what if they are a good defense the rest of the season? Well, then, then he did have the answer. I mean, would that save him? No, well, no, plus or minus? No, is that, no. Is, is, is that a plus or a minus? Because if they play good defense, they might have a chance to win a game or two. It's not going to save him. That ship sailed. I mean, I'm sure deep in the recesses of his competitive mind, he's like. Imagine we win five straight, the defense starts to kick ass, and we're nine and eight and we're in the playoffs. How do you like me now? <laughs> um, but that's just not like your point is like he's not playing the Giants twice and the Patriots and the and right. and and you know the Bears. He's cut the Dolphins, 49ers, and Cowboys in three of the final five games. And he, and, he, and and in terms of the offense, I mean, just facing the Dolphins on Sunday. We get the first test. I don't know. I, I um, Personally, the only thing that would make me somewhat angry is if they won three of their final five games or even two of their final five games and really ruined what should be a great opportunity to have a lot of options when you get to April. You yeah. know, Sam, building around that. Sam or, or drafting, you know, Jaden Daniels or somebody like that. Uh, right. So I understand that. Yes. Interesting to watch, though. That's like the so the Ron taking over the defense gives us something to pay attention to, other than Sam and Eric Bieniemy, which you're you're done with anyway. All right, what's your prediction yeah. Sunday? Miami's a nine and a half point favorite at FedEx. Rain is in the forecast for Sunday, but not super cold Sunday. What do you got? Uh, Forty-one to thirteen, Miami. For, that's not a good defensive day, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> The Dolphins' defense, I might want to point out, is ranked number one in total defense and number one in fewest yards per play allowed. I'm getting this, obviously, I'm getting this off the Internet. Uh, From weeks 5 through 12, those numbers are accurate. From weeks 1 through 12, the Dolphins' offense is ranked number one in total offense and number one in most yards per play gained. This is not a formula uh, for success. I mean, this is a formula for disaster. What did you and say? So what did you say disaster. about the Dolphins' defense? 
The Dolphins' defense from weeks 5 through 12. Oh, weeks 5 through 12. I was going to say, because they're not the number one defense in the NFL. Are ranked number one in the league in total defense and number one in fewest yards per play allowed. Mm. Uh, they lost Jalen Phillips last week to a um, – uh, it's a big loss for them. Achilles, you know, on that same uh, Meadowlands turf uh, – and that's a, that, that, that's a big loss for them. But they've got playmakers on defense, and they've got you know Vic Fangio coordinating that defense. I'm looking to see what their defense is ranked per DVOA because I would bet that it's barely top 10. Like I can think of at least for me seven, eight defenses easily that are better than the Dolphins' defense. Dolphins' defense per DVOA is 15th. In the league, so um, middle of the league, I would have. Th- I actually would have thought it would have been a little bit higher than that, but um, yeah, the number one defense right now, Cleveland, followed by Baltimore, followed by Dallas. Um, you see who's going to start in Cleveland, a quarterback this I, weekend. I did see that. I'm actually really looking forward. One of your to guys. Some- I know. I've always, lo- I've always loved Flacco. I've always loved Flacco. Yeah. You, you know. I've said this many times, not because I thought he was an elite quarterback, but but uh, but because I think he was one of the true clutch quarterbacks of his day. Um, you know, yeah. the bigger the game, the better uh, the better Joe Flacco played, and that was not you know that, that, that was, was the that was the sign of an uncluttered mind, as we used to like to say. <laughs> we did, yeah. Uh, yes. It doesn't appear to be brilliant, but that's fine. You know, he was oblivious <laughs> to the moment. Um, I, I think, you know, I think it's true that he has as many road playoff wins as anybody but Staubach, is it? I remember looking this up years ago. Um, he's way up there on the list of having started road playoff games and won them. And in most of them, he played exceptionally well. I mean, they were really, you know... Other than the Giants in two Super Bowls, they were really the thorn in the Patriots' side during those years. I mean, they beat the Patriots multiple times in the playoffs and should have beaten them even more than that. Um, they beat them in Foxborough in 2009, 33-14. They beat them uh, – in the AFC Championship game in New England in Foxborough on the way to their Super Bowl in 2012. Uh, he threw three touchdowns, no interceptions in that game. They lost a play, uh, two pl- close playoff games in New England, both in Foxborough. They didn't play the Patriots once in Baltimore. They lost 23-20 when that kicker, who kicked in Washington briefly, Cundiff, when he missed a, a short field goal to force yeah. overtime, and their receiver dropped the touchdown pass to win the game. And then, um, what's his face? The running back who got in trouble uh, fumbled. Ray Rice. Ray Rice fumbled in a game that they lost 35-31. to 31. I think it was Ray Rice fumbled in that game. It could have been somebody else. Um, but uh, they had all those chances to beat New England. They had beat New England twice, lost to them twice, but both losses were games that they – had nearly won. Yeah, I don't know what he'll look like. He's 38 years old. They just don't, they, they've run out of options. The thing about Cleveland yeah, is yeah. it's such a great defense that you don't have to do a lot 
to be in the game uh, offensively. And they've got some weapons on offense, although Nick Chubb is the, the biggest miss. All right, 41-13 Miami, so says Tommy. I'll have my prediction on the game along with keys to an upset win over Miami tomorrow. Uh, No smell test pick uh, in tonight's Dallas-Seattle game. We'll finish up with a you heard it here first bold prediction right after these words from a few of our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This segment of the show brought to you by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com for new windows. Temperatures are getting colder. Uh, Winter is coming. Window Nation wants to help you out with 0% financing for five years plus two free windows with every two you buy. Now's the time to protect your family from the elements, lower your energy costs, and upgrade the look and feel of your home. Uh, If you've got windows that are 10 years of age or older, if you've been thinking about new windows, give Window Nation a shot. If you call them at 866-90-NATION and mention my name, you'll get a free estimate. So you've got nothing to lose. I promise you, they're not going to pressure you into making a decision. They'll tell you to shop the deal if you want to shop the deal. The bottom line is if you've got old windows, you are paying too much on your heating and air conditioning bills. You can save up to 30% on those bills with new windows, not to mention, as already mentioned, upgrading the look and feel of your home. Window Nation has installed nearly 2 million windows with 96% perfection, making them one of the top window companies in the country. I've been endorsing Window Nation for 14 years. I've got complete trust in them. You can as well. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Mention my name, Kevin Sheehan, and they will take really good care of you. I also want to mention um, something that looks like a lot of fun. Saturday, December 2nd, this Saturday, 1.30 in Rockville at Woodmont Country Club, the Woodmont Book Fair. All right, this is an event that features legendary guest authors. You'll be able to take pictures with them, grab autographs. David Dupree will be there. Uh, Mike Wilbon will be there. Jane Levy. Um, and it looks like a fun day, you know, whether you're a big time book lover or just a curious person or a parent that wants to bring kids out. Uh, Woodmont Book Fair, Saturday, December 2nd, 1 30. Tom will not be there. I did not see your name on this list of participants at the Woodmont Book Fair. I wasn't invited. Okay. Well, um, call George Solomon about that. Maybe he'll 
invite you to the next one. Why? Does he have something to do with it? Yeah, I think he's got something to do with it. Really? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Sounds like a great event, whether Tommy's there or not. Uh, December 2nd, one thirty. I think it would be better if I was there. <laughs> Don't you think so? Uh, I think, you know, you being anywhere makes improves the situation. Especially like if there's a cigar available or a very cold beer available. That's when you know, you're on at your the other best. hand, I, I'm not a country club. Kind no, of you're guy. not. You're not. And I wouldn't worry about this country club atmosphere. It, it, this sounds like a, a fun book, uh, you know, event, uh, a great book fair, regardless of where it is. Um, How fun could it be Will, if I'm not Will, there? Will Bond's a country club guy. There's no doubt about that. Yes, yes he is. Um, all right, uh, it is time for You Heard It Here First. I've been waiting to hear what the big announcement was going to be, and you got it right here. Heard it here first. All right, bold predictions, Tommy, this week. You get to kick it off. What do you got? Oh, lucky me. My bold prediction, you know, this uh, Saturday in Nashville starts the baseball winter meetings. Mm-hmm. This is when a lot of free agents are signed, a lot of trades are made. And I have a column in tomorrow's Washington Times. I have a column in today's Washington Times that talks about how on Saturday the Baseball Hall of Fame Special Committee uh, for Veterans will be voting on a number of managers for induction, and Davey Johnson is one of them. And I'm hoping that Davey winds up in Cooperstown. That'd be great. But Saturday is also the beginning of the winter meetings in Nashville, and uh, I have a column in Friday's paper saying how Mike Rizzo better get some money from the learners to spend this year and not get short change like he did last year because there are free agents to be had that they need, but they need to take the next step. So what's your bold prediction? My bold prediction is former Phillies first baseman Reese Hopkins, a very good home run hitter, uh will be signed by the Washington Nationals. Okay. They'll he miss had 30 it. home runs for the yeah. Phillies last year. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Bryce Harper's going to be playing first base for them. So they got no place for him. So he's a free agent, and he's one of the bats that they need in that lineup. So the Nationals will sign Reese Hopkins as a free agent. All right. Uh, mine, remember we had um, in one of our uh, Apple reviews yesterday, uh, we read the guy that wanted me to talk more Maryland sports, more Maryland basketball in particular. <laughs> well, guy. Well, the, well, the Terps tomorrow night open up their Big Ten slate at Indiana. And Maryland has had a rough start to this season, Tommy. A rough start to this season. Uh, they got absolutely blown out at Villanova. I mean, the final score was 57 to 40, but trust me, the the game felt like it was a 40-point game. They only had like 28 points with 5 minutes to go in the game. Thank God they got to 40. It would have looked really ugly. It looked ugly anyway. Maryland goes on the road to open up their Big 10 slate at Indiana tomorrow night and beats the Hoosiers in Bloomington. There you go. That's my bold prediction. I have no idea what even the point spread will be. I bet you it's shorter than most people think it will be. They don't put those the college basketball lines out until late in the day uh, before the game. But Maryland beats Indiana tomorrow night. 
That's my bold prediction. Uh, do you have anything else to add to the show? Yes, I do. Okay. You know what I got in the mail? What? I got my Baseball Writers Hall of Fame ballot in the mail and for the who, Baseball Hall of Fame. So who's on the ballot? I've been voting for tw- – this will be my 20th year. Wow. Voting for the Baseball Hall of Fame. And it's literally the coolest thing I do. Uh, and uh, there's some new additions this year. Uh, Jose Bautista, Adrian Beltre, Bartolo Colon, Adrian Gonzalez, a group of others. Uh, but I'll, I'll vote for more this year. I already know who I'm going to vote for. Uh, of the newcomers, Adrian Beltre, he might be he's, – he's a shoe-in. Uh, Chase Utley, mm-hmm. I think, will be borderline. I'm going to vote for him. And Joe Maurer, the catcher for the Twins, I'll be voting for him as well among the first ballot uh, entries in the Hall of Fame. But it's always a big deal when the Hall of Fame ballot comes in the mail. When is it due? Uh, I forget. Sometime in December. Okay. I usually mail mine in pretty early. I wish that I had that level of passion for baseball like I do for football and basketball because I would love to sit here and have conversations with you about you know, the people that you are voting for or not voting for. They're always interesting conversations to hear among baseball people. I, I mean, I, I've heard you have those conversations before. You know, a, a guy like uh, Mad Dog has those conversations with baseball people on his show all the time. And it really is like such a, you know, traditional sports debate. Uh, among you know sp- baseball fans, you know Hall of Fame or not? Yeah. You know, d- did you see the other day that London Fletcher, you know, is on the ballot again for the Hall of Fame? Um, I saw that, and I listened to your radio show when you discussed it. Yeah, he's he definitely. I think I think London Fletcher's case is a lot better than most people think it is, but. I can see both cases for London. A lot of the numbers that he's accumulated over the course of his career is because he had such a long career and he didn't miss any games. You know, he's, he's you know, all time in terms of games played as an inside linebacker. Um, but he was a really good player. And he was a good player for yeah, Washington, you know, too. I mean, he was older so when he, he got here. Hall of, of, he goes in the hall very good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Not necessarily the Hall of Fame. But there have been people to me that have gotten into the Hall of Fame that had lesser cases than Fletcher. But I think that's where we've gotten in the Hall of Fame, especially the the football Hall of Fame, which I can speak to more so. I think we've gotten to the point where a lot of Hall of really, really good is in the Hall of of, of Fame now. Um I think the most interesting thing about London Fletcher's career, there's so many numbers that totally you can make the case for it. But the bottom line is during the course of his career, he went to four Pro Bowls and only made two uh, All-Pro teams, and they were second-team All-Pros. So he was never considered during you know the Ray Lewis, by the way, era. Um, he was never considered to be the best, you know, inside linebacker in the game. He's considered to be one of the better players at that position. But, you know, for somebody who played as many years as he played, just four Pro Bowls, you know, that that was it. And none of them, none of them before he got to Washington. Um, All right, anything else? 
I got nothing else for you, boss. All right, I'll be back tomorrow. Jay Gruden will be with me. We will preview the NFL weekend and the Washington-Miami game. I'll have a smell test as well. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.